parable of two houses. A reading from Matthew 7, 15 through 29. A reading from Luke 6, 43 through 49. Matthew 7, a tree and its fruit. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Luke chapter 6, A Tree and Its Fruit For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Matthew 7, I never knew you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Luke chapter 6 Build your house on the rock. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Matthew 7, Build Your House on the Rock Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Matthew 7 And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. There was a theme in this morning, it's reality. The reality is the, the theme we're going with. So we have um, two presentations of a parable, two different settings that set them up. And in Matthew, the parable about the two houses is the cap to the 
um, Sermon on the Mount. It's all about the reality of how God works in this life. And Luke, it's surrounded by miracles. It's the reality of Christ's power in this life. And the parable is about our interaction with reality. Reality is reality. You know, no matter what we prefer, reality is reality. That's what it is. We just interact with it. What happens when it's solid and what happens when it's not for us? God has uh, filled the physical world with all kinds of solid realities. Some of them are kind of broad, maybe not even that easy to see. Some of them are very easy to see and very, very precise. I'll give you uh, an example right now. It's uh, if you're watching the live stream, well, you're not because you're sitting here, <laughs> except for Debbie. Debbie watches the live stream on her phone while she's here. So that's called augmented reality, Deb. But during this, Clint and um, uh, Jenna, whoever is, happens to be doing the, um, the uh, live stream camera work, they have one big job, and that's keeping the cameras in focus. And that's an interesting thing. If you look at how the focus on a camera lens works, it has a lens that kind of breaks up the light and bends it, even slows it down. And then it converges on the other side of the lens hitting the uh, photo uh, sensor. Back in the old days, uh, some of us remember that, would we call that the film, right? Well, they have a photo sensor in there now. So there's this one point, one single point where the waves, the light waves uh, uh, converge together. And for uh, the camera guy to focus the camera, it has to hit the photo sensor exactly on that point. Now, how big is that point? Well, how long is a light wave? So basically, that point is 0 .006 of the width of a hair. It has to be that exact. God's very precise in some of his realities. Now here's the point I'm getting at, is that if God went to all the trouble of making reality that rock solid, that precise in the physical world, what scripture tells us one day is going to be rolled up like a scroll and replaced. How much more real, how much more precise, how much more solid the reality of eternity, of the spiritual side of the things that really count? Which brings us to another question, how real do we think they are? If I were to ask everybody in here, do you think God's real? I'm sure everybody go, yeah, yeah. But how real are the things God teaches you? How much of a rock solid reality are those? Because when you stop and look at how we really live, all of us, you know, God claims, I will forgive you as you forgive others. But if you're honest, and you're like me, you know that at some point when you're ticked at someone, you go, well, God, I hope you'll make an exception in this case. Or God says, we will find him if we seek, if we love him with all our heart, with all our will. 
But how often do we convince ourselves, well, yeah, we need to do that, but there's something that's a higher priority in this moment. Or how about the fact that Jesus clearly says not to walk in the flesh? And yet, how often will our hearts be filled with anger? Or will be in a spirit of dissension or division? Or will be judgmental? Or will be uh, exclusive? Or idolize something we shouldn't be idolizing? Or even entertain an appetite of lust? And I don't mean just to stumble here and there. I'm talking about a full-out routine as we walk along. But God says clearly, if we walk in the flesh, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. We will not, straight out, period. Do we really see that like a rock-solid reality? Or do we just go, nobody's perfect, and we go on with whatever? You know, to take God's spiritual realities and his moral realities and his eternal realities and to say, well, I hope I'm the exception in this case. It's like Clint back there going, well, I'm not going to uh, hit the point where the light converges on the photo sensor, but I'm just going to hope that it's going to go into focus anyway. It's not going to work. It doesn't work. Reality. The final caution in both of the parables comes down to this. When solid reality is ignored, people fall. When solid reality is ignored, people fall and they fall badly. But the parable is a great encouragement too that we're looking into because it's saying if you build on reality, if you actually build on reality, the opposite will happen. Things will come into focus. There will be the proper outcome to things. But here's the thing about this parable we're talking about and any other. We can't really discern how it applies to us. Not right, unless we understand the parable. And we really can't understand the parable if we can't glean or we don't have any idea what the circumstances were when the parable was given. If we take a superficial look at it, just put it in our own time, what we end up doing is making false assumptions and we miss the point that's really trying to be made there. So here's what we're doing with the parable of the two houses today. We're going to concentrate more on the circumstances in which the parable was written. And we're going to look into the literal side of what Christ is using and inferring to. Then next week, after we kind of get a grip on that, we'll go into more of the uh, analogy and the symbolism. And, and then we'll know how it applies to us. Until we do that, we don't know the reality of the parable. And when we do, when we get all through this, I think we'll discover Jesus implies four key tools for you and I to navigate and understand and align with God's solid reality. If I could give it to you in four words, it'd be this position, preparation, perspective, and production. Position, preparation, perspective, and production. So here we go. I went to some lengths to bring in the land of Israel for us today. 
Israel's heavy, just so you know. And uh, we'll see what's being talked about here. When Jesus, and we're going to end up building from the ground up what Jesus is talking about in ancient houses of the average man back in the day. You know, when Jesus talked about building a house on the sand, and you hear that parable, I'm just curious if everybody was kind of like me. What did you picture in your mind? A beach? Yeah, well, that's kind of where I pictured a sand dune and somebody building a house on a sand dune. And, oh, the guys didn't get their high five going out. Oh, well. But you know what? The idea of building a Jennifer, like we were saying, to build a house simply on a, a, a sandy beach or to build it on a sand dune would be ridiculous. Nobody would do that. In the time of Jesus, nobody would do that. And Jesus is trying to get a truth across, and he's not teaching it from the point of the ridiculous, but from the plausible. So the believability lies in what actually was going on in the physical world. So that's where we're going. We'll go to ancient Egypt, and uh, we'll start building our house. First key word, we said position. Our first step is to find a good site for our house. And any wise builder is going to want to build it on what? Rock, bedrock, something solid. And depending on what region you are in Israel, the bedrock might be limestone, it might be sandstone, or, or if you're really lucky, granite, because that's the hardest of them all. And uh, this is our miniature Israel going on here. And there's lots of bedrock in Israel. There's lots of places that has bedrock. So what's important to the parable in, in the understanding of this house construction in eight ancient times is this. Unlike our houses today, there were no concrete slabs. There were no uh, trusses or beams or raised floors. There's none of that stuff. The ground was part of the house. It was part of the structure. There wasn't even a wood frame to the average house for your average family in Israel. It depends solely on how well you stacked what you stacked. That's what was, uh, it was all about. Uh, so, uh, and it really, even in English, we have a word for it. It's called a cob house. Mud bricks that are stacked just right. And that's what we're talking really is a mud brick house. We can see that if the ground is an important part of building the house, the ground better be pretty stable. It better not be moving or shifting or anything like that. So the idea would be to build directly on the bedrock, but here's the thing, very seldom do you find straight bedrock, you're going to, here we go with the, I couldn't get sand to scale. So this will have to do. But what we're going to find, is if we go there, it's not that the bedrock isn't there, it's just that, like here, it's for the most part, it's covered in dirt. So there you are, you find uh, this nice site, you have the dirt, uh, but if you're going to, if it's that important, you're going to have to come in and have a, a your big rake, you're going to have to clear away you're going to have to dig down 
and get at that bedrock. And once you have the bedrock, what we would end up doing, we'd have two choices. If we were people with a little bit of money, we might be able to go and buy some nicely squared hewn stones, and we'd build our foundation out of that. But if that wasn't available to us, you could collect irregular stones and stack them as best you could. So we can look at this either way. I'm going to take out all my stones here. And of course, what's the first stone you would lay down? What are we going to call that? A capstone? Cornerstone. There we go. That's the first thing. Once you, and wouldn't it be so important to have that stone laid directly as much as you could on the very bedrock, because the whole house relies on that. So, but we're going to be foolish today, and for the sake of our little demonstration, I'm just going to say we didn't. Which, by the way, I learned something interesting when I was doing this and making the little pictures here. It is a whole lot easier uh, to balance on dirt. You can, you get all this wiggle room, so this truly is the easy way out. So we take and we, we lay down our layer of uh, foundation here. Then after we got this part of it done and we found our site and we build those, the next thing we put all that dirt that's around us, we get to put that to use because we build mud bricks on site. And a mud brick would weigh anywhere from 20 to 50 pounds, depending what size you made them. And they would stack in the same way. So we'd just get all our, our bricks together. We'd stack them up as best we can on these here uh, rock stones. Now we're not even dealing with rock, we're dealing with mud bricks that we've made. I thought of Mike Black when I was making this. I thought, Mike makes little barns. I wonder if he could make me a little Hebrew house. Might be the next tool, the next thing I'll be after you for, Mike. You'll have to get on the building list. <laughs> get on the building list. <laughs> That's true. And I'm sure your, your house would be uh, nicer than mine, but there it is. So we've stacked this up on top of our bricks. The next thing, and you'll notice there's no wood in this for the average family, and there's a reason for that so far, is because wood in Israel would be very expensive. When you uh, hear them talking about the cedars from Lebanon and the temple and everything, that was expensive stuff. But you did manage to procure yourself at least uh, a few logs for rafters now, we went, uh, we're being very spacious here. Most of the houses would be a one-room house for the average family. And um, our design is fairly spacious. We have this 39 feet square and eight feet high. Just one story. But there's an interesting thing we get to do here. We make the rafters, then we take a lot of heavy straw, hardened uh, plaster and mud, and we make ourselves 
a roof, but the roof is actually um, a raised patio. And actually, according to uh, Leviticus, we'd even put a railing around there that was actually specified. And we'd use that as like a second floor. And uh, we might store things up, probably the stairs would be on the outside to get up there. So there we go, we have this entire thing nicely made. But it all depended on one reality. What were we building on? What were we building on? But position is key because there's a few different hazards that can uh, happen in Israel. One's called a wadi. Anyone familiar with the word? I think it's an Arabic term. And a wadi is um, a, a type of, of stone ravine. As a matter of fact, let's see if down here, it's hard to see, but if you can imagine this only a thousand times bigger, it would be a stone ravine and all the dirt in the rains would get washed down to the mouth of the wadi. And then during the dry season, this stuff would harden and it'd be nice and level. And the temptation would be, why should I dig for a foundation? This is nice. It's as hard as cement. And I can just put my rocks on top of that and everything should be just fine. It was kind of a no-brainer. As long as you were only thinking of the dry season. But what happens in ravines when we get a heavy rain? We get some, something we're familiar with in Indiana, flash flooding. We get those warnings all the time, flash flooding. And what was uh, this cement-like sand is now just washing away. And 20-pound mud bricks are coming down on your head like missiles. And the logs uh, that you had for rafters are coming down. And it's just a horrific scene going on here. Here's an excerpt from what's a flash flood like. Here's an excerpt from the National Weather Service. Flash floods, number one weather-related killer in the United States. Several factors contribute to flash flooding. The two key elements are rainfall intensity and duration. Intensity is the rate of rainfall, and duration is how long the rain lasts. Topography, soil conditions, and ground cover also play an important role. Flash floods occur within a few minutes or hours of an extensive rain. Uh, flash floods can roll boulders, tear out trees, destroy buildings and bridges, and scour out new channels. Rapidly rising water can reach heights of 30 feet or more. Furthermore, flash flooding produces rains that can also trigger catastrophic mudslides. You will not always have a warning that these deadly, sudden floods are coming. Most flood deaths are due to flash floods. Just giving that some perspective, here's some facts from the Weather Channel. Six inches of flowing water can knock a person off their feet. Water flowing at seven miles per hour has the equivalent force per unit area of an EF5 tornado wind. Water moving at 25 miles per hour has the pressure equivalent 
of the wind blowing at 790 miles per hour, faster than the speed of sound. Six inches of water can drown a person. If you slip and fall face first, you may <clears throat> drown before you come to. Water levels in flash floods can rise one foot in five minutes. In some cases, for instance, in a canyon, near instantaneous water rises to 10 to 30 feet, even more. And that wall of water then rushes downstream. When we're talking a wadi, that's the type of water we're talking about. Now here's the thing that Jesus points out. It's not a question, will floods happen? It's not a question that uh, rains will come. It's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. And when Jesus says, and great was the fall, this is what his original listeners would have been thinking in the back of their mind. Imagine a 30-foot wall of water at the speed of an F5 tornado hitting an eight-foot mud-stacked house. Man. Those logs are coming down on you. The bricks are coming down. Uh, the foundation just erodes away. All that solid dirt we thought was so um, stable disappears. And where are you? You are in a house that is now a meat grinder. Boulders, beams, bricks, just all crushing together. And the thing is, this horror came up in an instant. It was even before you could think to leave this little house that's going on. Position. The wrong position. The end of a ravine is no place to build your house, especially when you're counting on the ground as your foundation. But, you know, there's another mistake we can make, and it's in the preparation, not just the position. The builder who, he's smart enough that he hasn't gotten caught in one of these stone ravines, he finds the perfect rock bed to build on. And he goes, you know, there won't be any floods around here. How about I build and not worry about getting down to the bedrock? It's so much easier if you don't have to dig. So he sets this foundation of his on the dirt. Here's another one for folks in Indiana. You have parts in your lawn that are probably like stone in the summertime. What are they like in the spring? Man, you better not take your lawnmower out in the early spring, especially one of those riding ones, because you'll have ruts all through your lawn. Uh, it'll just sink. So what's going to happen when you have these uh, foundational stones and they sink in that soft mush. It's the same thing. The, the difference, though, is this, where the first falling of your house was this horrific instant. Now, it would be the exact opposite. You would have this house. You would watch almost in slow motion as all of the foundation cracks. And then all those bricks that are on there, you're watching all the cracks show up in the wall. 
And then just only in slow motion, the beams fall and the roof falls and the wall falls. You still lose it all. All happens in front of your face. All happens in this slow motion. And the problem wasn't anything to do with your position in life. It was your preparation. You had the foundation. You had the solid rock. You just decided not to dig down to it. If only you had prepared. If only you had prepared. Position and preparation. Why did you do it that way? Well, it comes down to the third P here's perspective. The unwise builders only had one problem here, really. They were short-sighted. There they were in the dry season. There were no storms. So building was easy. You could build almost on anything, and it'd be fine. There's no problem until the rains came. Then you had a problem. It's interesting. I said we're talking about reality, and what makes reality reality is that it's rock solid. Reality is reality because it doesn't shift. When it shifts, we call that illusion. Sand is the illusion. Truth is a solid rock. One or the other, which leads us to the whole production of this thing. In the parable, we could go one of two ways. There is a happy outcome Jesus talks about, and then there's this terrible, tragic outcome Jesus talks about. Both are as inevitable as a rain that will come. Just a question, which one? Even before we go into the eternal implications we're talking about, there's a powerful truth we got to take grips with, even right here. Everyone chooses a position in life. We all choose some position. We all take a strategy. We either take the easy way. <clears throat> we don't. Uh, worry about digging down too far. We take the popular way. We take the obvious way. Thing is, is that the obvious and the popular and the easy can be the wrong way. Even something that's built on a right foundation, even something where you've got the foundation right, you can still build wrong. Preparation. If there's no proper pressure, uh, preparation, then you're on the surface and it's going to do you no good. Even the truth can be of no use. Even the truth of Jesus can be of no use if you don't dig down to the bedrock of it. For example, how can we follow an eternal God if we're trapped in instant gratification? How is that going to work? Whether it's a conscious choice or not, we are all building on a foundation. We are all building our houses of some kind. We are all building on some kind of foundation. It might be a foundation of our own values. We might be building on personal security, a personal ambition out of our emotions. We could be building on our hope, whatever they may be. We could be building on something we see as important to our existence. And it could be bedrock or it could be sand. 
You can take it very literally. Jesus doesn't teach anything spiritual in the parable from outside the very literal. You're building on something. And there's no quick and simple answer to give you this week. You know, so many times we give sermons are kind of like TV shows. You know, they, they 30 minutes and then we give you a nice, simple black and white conclusion at the end. It says, no, there really isn't one. There's a challenge to take with you until next week when we really look into the symbolism of it, but is this, is what kind of reality are you really building on? What kind of reality? Yeah, sure, we say we think God's real and sure, we believe the Bible, but how much of the reality of Scripture are we really basing our lives on? We'll dig deeper and find out next week. But as we consider just the physical side of this, let me close this message before Kevin comes up with a little prayer, if you join me. Lord, there are so many positions out there that seem like the solid truth, but they're really not. May you give each person in this room, each of us, the discernment to know the difference. And Lord, there's so many easy truths out there. Uh, many of them are in Christian rapping, and they seem so attractive. But the truth is, when the storms come, <laughs> they're just not going to hold up. May you give us the, the holy fortitude to resist the easy truth. And Lord, there are flash floods of misfortune and bad choices that come up in every life, everywhere, all the time. May you protect us, Lord God, against our, ourselves. May you lead us to, to lay the foundation of our lives on what you say. May we go for the bedrock. May we set ourselves on your solid reality and may we remain standing because we do so we put our hope we put our stone we put our foundation on you alone and we ask in the name of Christ Amen